Hello and a very warm welcome to the first ever Big Carp News Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Harbour, and I'm delighted to be bringing you a number of podcasts over the coming months. We'll be talking all things carpy right here in the USA, everything from the history of carp angling right up to the current times and absolutely everything in between. So whether you're out on the road or on a session waiting for a fish or just relaxing in the comfort of your own home, grab yourself a drink, take the weight off and sit back as I'm delighted to connect you with a number of guests here on the Big Carp News Podcast. Our first guest is a very avid all-species angler and has been in the carp game for a number of decades, with just as many outstanding captures over the years right here in the USA. He's also been a huge part of the well-known carp anglers group. Along with that, he's always given a huge helping hand to create a very educated awareness of catch and release carp angling all over the USA. He's referred to as one of the nicest guys you could ever meet in carp angling in the US, and from what I've heard, He's got some very deadly throwing stick skills as well. So hang around and take a listen as it's my pleasure to welcome to the very first Big Carp News podcast, Mr. Mike Dragone. Looking back on it, I think what was uh, most important that we wanted to kind of capture was the his- historic side of, uh, of angling here in the US, especially carp fishing specifically. I know you're a multi-species angler, aren't you? So Yeah, I'll fish for anything as long as i got time. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's one of the one of the downsides, isn't it? Never have enough time to do it. Right, that. exactly. So um, t- tell us a little bit about your past in, and how it all kind of began for you in terms of um, your fishing in general, but we can kind of bleed into the carp fishing sure. later on. Um, I started very young age. I was probably you know, eight or nine years old. Um, I always had interest in fishing. I never really had any mentor. Um, I begged my father to take me. Right, and, right. And, uh, you know, he broke down and went, we went to the local uh, five and dime or wherever we bought a couple of cheap fishing rods and some rubber worms and we went at it you know we, we tried to catch fish and you know my father was pretty patient with me as far as that good. goes and untangling knots and getting hooked and all that good stuff but uh i lived across from the uh, east branch of the croton river in westchester county new york so i had access to water you know within time. walking distance of my house from when i was a young boy couldn't get it any better than really right yeah. right so uh, as far as you know carp fishing goes i mean there were carp in the river and and I used to occasionally hook one by accident, you know, while I was fishing for <laughs> trout or whatever. And, and of course, most of the times, you know, I would just get smoked by the fish yeah. and break my line or oh, whatever. Geez, but, yeah. but I always had an interest in it, you know, based on you know how they fought and how fun they were to catch. So mm. as I was a little older, I actually purposely, you know, fished for carp. Uh, not, in the, not in the greatest way with treble hooks and, uh, yeah, and, and, and right. gobs of worms under, under <laughs> the fishing at night, you know, it was, it was a, it was a good time. We would catch carp and, uh, eels and, and, and oh, wow. heads. It was, it was kind of a fun thing to do as a kid. Yeah. Um, and then I, you know, I kind of, you know, I guess I got older, went to college and got out of fishing for a while and then I got back into it. And, um, if you remember the, uh, the, the famous in fisherman article about, carp fishing back in the mid nineties yeah. yep. um, out in Mille Lacs up in, uh, where is that? Minnesota. Or yeah. Way over there. Wherever they are, Wisconsin. Wherever <laughs> it is. Um, and it rekindled my, my desire to carp fish. It was always fun. Sure. 
And I saw that it was like a gadgety kind of sport now. And it all kind the of progressed a little bit more. Like, it was nothing yeah. like it used to be. And, and it just ignited this interest again. So uh, from there, um, in that same article, there was a phone number for a local uh, tackle distributor called Euro Tackle with Nigel Griffin. And I called the number and spoke to him for about a, an hour Jeez. about car fishing. And, <laughs> yep. and we talked about everything. And the whole time I'm thinking, like, he's got a store at his house. I'm going to go to his house. I'm going to buy all this right. stuff. And at the end of the conversation, he said, well, well, mate, I just have, you know, stuff in my house here. Sure. So I was like, okay. So I ordered my first, you know, pod. And now, what year was that? Like, roughly? I would you say. Have, you any idea on that? We're talking, now we're talking probably, uh, probably 1994 or five. Okay. Somewhere right. around there. So I was, you know, I, I got a hold of, of him and I got my first uh, pod and some, you know, some tackle and yeah. tackle. And I bought some rods from Wacker Jeez. Bait out in Chicago. and Because everything uh, for cardboys at that point in time, that year, was still kind of in its infancy, wasn't it, really? Yeah, it was not easy to find here, that I mean. stuff. Right. Um, and, you know, back in the early CAG days, you know, I joined CAG right right as at that time. And there was no internet or if there was, it was in its infancy. So there was the only way to communicate was through these quarterly mailings that they would send out. So, and the big one was the one in the spring and it told everybody where all the fishings were going to be, you know, and that was the, how you met people. You know, you didn't, you know, call them up. We didn't have cell phones and none of that stuff. We just basically sure. you know, went to these fishings and met these people that were larger than life. Some of them, you know, <laughs> oatmeal Jack and, you know, some of these other characters, you know, from CAG and, uh, it kind of progressed from there, you know, once the, the internet came about and, you know, the forum yeah. came about, you know, the, the, the communication got even better. The networking got even bigger. Right. And, and carp fishing got, you know, even bigger. Bigger. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, obviously you've been in the game for quite a while in terms of, I mean, fishing in general, but for carp specifically, like, you know, since you started to where it is now, that progression, I mean, it's obviously grown quite a bit and obviously everyone will agree with that. But what have you seen that have been the biggest kind of growth in that kind of stuff? I, I think it's, you know, like when I first started doing this and, you know, and you could probably say the same thing, you know, when you were fishing with the tackle that you had and people would walk up to me and say, well, I've never seen that before. That's really cool. Right. And now I have people come up to me and saying, yeah, I seen another guy using that same stuff. Over yeah. And I always say, well, I probably know who he is. And they, yeah. they mention the name. I'm like, yeah, I know the guy. So it's, it's big, it's bigger over here than it was, but it's not obviously as big as it is in other parts of the world. Of course. It's, it's, it's kind of like a, a large uh, fraternity here, you know, more Yeah, so everyone's very close knit, isn't Everybody it? kind of knows community. everybody or knows of, you know, people, the names are familiar. That, and I think, uh, you know, some of the tournaments that have been, you know, been promoted over the years has also brought a little, uh, you know, brought that out in the public eye a bit more. Sure. Uh, whether it be the stuff that, you know, the early ACS tournaments or yeah. the stuff that the, the, uh, yeah, cause all club. that's changed yeah, over yeah. the years, hasn't it? And like certain individuals have kind of started their own, um, tournaments and right, then right. kind of, uh, like you mentioned, like CAG kind of did their own like yearly stuff as well. Yeah, CAG um, was more seasonal of a, CAG stuff. was more of a, uh, a, just a gathering point, you know, it wasn't yeah. really competitive. It was more of just you know, promote the, you know, the fundamentals of carp fishing, you know, care for the fish and preserve the resources. And of course. Have fun, you know, the, 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 whatever the, the, those initial initiatives were. Um, and then 
off of that, these other groups, you know, ACS yeah. came about and right. the, for the more competitive, you know, part of the sport. And, and I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm a competitor. I like to compete. You do do a few tournaments, so don't you? I, yeah, I try yeah. to do at least one or two a year. And, yeah. Well, you uh, just did one, right? So we just did up in the St. Lawrence and uh, almost died from the heat exhaustion. Yeah, it's but, pretty dreadful you know, from what we I heard. some yeah. nice fish and, yeah. and it's good to see the guys up there. I haven't been up there in probably nine years, you know. Yeah, that, was, like, that was the place to go back, you know, back, back in, in the early thousand, you know, 2000s. Well, we did mention that, didn't we, on our phone call the other day, kind of how how it's changed over the years. Now, it used to be so much more prolific to, to what right. it is now. Maybe it's a natural evolution. Yeah, I don't know. Think we, so. we, I don't think we've carp fished long enough in this country to, to really know, know what yeah. goes on. But um, as some places die down, some places pick up. I mean, now Connecticut River is like the hot spot. You, you yeah, it is, isn't pretty it? Pretty monstrous fish there. And yeah. there's tons of them, and, and there's a lot of easy access, and it's close to home. You know, it's it's not too far. Of a Those ride. fish on on the St. Lawrence, like I mean, I know we spoke on it briefly, and it's funny because I had a, a conversation with another angler that's kind of been in the game for a long time. Hopefully, we can get him on one of the podcasts as well. It'd be great to hear from him. But um, you know, we kind of mentioned almost exactly the same thing. Like you, you go and fish it. And uh, years back, it would be a number of fish, very almost very instantaneously, like as soon as you got a rod out. But now it's like you really got to work for it. I mean, do you think that's what, like changing the weather, the, the river itself, the fish have wised up, moved out, died I, off even I, maybe? I wouldn't say that in the case of the St. Lawrence, it was the fish wised up because yeah. there's just too damn many of them. <laughs> At least there should be. <laughs> you know, we used to go up there and just, you know, pull the car on the side of the road and cast out a boilie at range and have a fish on in 10 minutes. And you can do that anywhere up there. Yeah. And, and some places were just so crazy, you know, you couldn't keep two rods in the water. And I, you know, I, like I said, I've been there in, in a number of years, but I see that, you know, the catch rates are down and the sizes of the fish are down and, you know, are they educated? I don't know. Maybe they're, there's just a natural evolution of, you know, some of the larger groups of fish die off or move right. off or whatever. I really don't know. Um, it's really hard to predict, you know, exactly what's going on in a large body of water like that. Now, in contrast, a small body of water, you know, just like some of the, the small European, you know, lakes and ponds that people fish, you know, the fish get smart. You know, they, they see a rig, they know what a yeah, rig they is. Do, yeah. You know, here in most places, you, you don't have to worry about hiding your, your lead or, or doing any fancy hook links. You just throw a, a sliding, you know, pair of lead on there with a, with a hair rig and anything on it. And chances right. are you're going to be just as effective as somebody with a fancy rig. Um, so I really don't know what, what, what the difference is in some of these waters that we fish that were prolific that aren't as such today, but it doesn't matter because there's so many other waters where they are. Isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's it. And, you know, another thing we kind of mentioned about was like how many waters that are here that just aren't really, we don't really know the, the true potential of them. And well, um, you know, you yourself know, Joel, you live that's in it. this area. Yeah. There's, there's so many bodies of water around. It'd take you, you know, 10 years to yeah. explore yeah. half of them. And, <laughs> You know, who has the time? You know, That's it. I don't. You know, <laughs> I wish I did. And, yeah. And maybe yeah. someday when I'm retired, I'll you know, find some some nice spots. But you really can almost go anywhere here. And that's part of the beauty of it is, you know, the waters aren't really pressured. You know, yeah. it doesn't take a lot of effort to find a spot where you're the only guy fishing for carp. That's it. Um, yeah. You know, and, and the fish usually cooperate. You know? Yeah. Now, I mean, uh, over the years, obviously, I mean, I know we talked. You touched on it briefly about how um, how you were able to kind of pick up that the tackle and the rods and stuff like that. Um, from then to to now, and the quality of the, the you know products that are available. Obviously, we know that they've kind of progressed. But do you, do you think that was um, 
being able, you know, being able to get them now from places like uh, Big Cup Tackle and, and a number of other retailers, obviously, that are available, obviously helping grow the sport. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I even, you know, even some of the local chain stores, you know, like your Walmarts and and some of the other places, the Dick Sporting Goods, yeah, or whatever, just kind of carrying. You know, they're they're starting pieces. to carry them. I see stuff in there that's carp related, you yeah. know, where I never did before. Um, before you had to just find something that w- was suitable, you know, for what just kind of get by yeah, or whatever you're yeah. doing. You know, unless you want to spend big money and you know have your stuff shipped over from Europe <laughs> or whatever. But you know, fortunately, you had enough people here now where you can get some pretty good tackle at, at, at decent prices. And, yeah. you know, for, you know, I always tell people that ask me, Oh, how much does this cost? You know, how much does it cost to get into this? I'm like, it doesn't have to cost you anything. Very little, you know, right. you can go out with and, and get the bare minimum, go to get some ugly stick rods and, and a couple of reels with decent drags and, and, and tie, catch, tie yeah. some, tie some hair rigs and, you know, get some leads that are local here. You don't have to go crazy or you can go, all out. Go full you, you on. You can with buy, it. you know, thousand dollar <laughs> set of alarms and you know, you know, two thousand dollars worth of rods and reels, and that doesn't even count the bait and the other stuff you yeah. know, that, that you can spend money on. So, I mean, if it ever became as popular as Europe, it'd be a cash cow over here. People would be making money. Yeah, I think it's a matter of time, isn't it? Before and, kind and, of. And I have people that, that think you know we don't want it to be that popular over here. You know, yeah, people yeah. that are doing it here, they're yeah. like, this is kind of good. That we got. <laughs> We got this to ourselves here, and, and really not a lot of pressure. But um, it is getting more popular. There's no doubt about it. it due, to, due to some of the exposure and and the availability of the tackle, and yeah. and you know these clubs and, and groups that we that we walk around with. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I thought for me personally, I've, I believe that there's room for everyone in that regard. You know, I think there <laughs> there is room for growth <laughs> but until they're in your swim. But, you but then there. that's it. Yeah, that's exactly. It. And then you you kind of think, oh, hang on a minute, um, why do I ever want that? Because you know, it's as good as it is. Now, I can honestly say I've never really had any problems. You know, it's just, yeah. you know, I I just go where I want when I want, and it's usually you know, no problem. Yeah, you know, no issues at all. Now, um, you, you got you got many plans for this for the rest of this year with everything else going on. Um, you looking at doing any uh, any other tournaments that are coming up possibly? Yeah, um, usually every year I do the the Baldwinsville event up in uh, New York State. Um, they're canceled this year due to the COVID issue, and uh, which makes sense. It's a, it's a pretty large gathering up there, and since they're canceling that event this year. Um, I'm going to jump in and, and, and do the Connecticut River uh, event, which is in, in mid-October. I think Fishing Factory down in Middletown is putting that on. Um, it's a fun event. I've never done it in the past, uh, only because I haven't had the time this year. I do have a little extra time, so I'm going to give that a shot. And I know the river fairly well, so I would hope that that's somewhat an advantage, you know, as far as that goes. But that's my you know, my, my tournament plans for the rest of the year. Right. And, and then, like I said, I do one or two a year if I can. Um, and then, you know, some, some social fishing, you know, I'm sure I'll do once this heat dies Got to get out there and get it done. Yeah. I like fishing (laughs) in the fall. It's kind of like my favorite time to fish. I'm with you on that one. but definitely an enjoyable time of year, isn't it? Fish are putting weight on and, uh, colors and all that beautiful It's cool out. It's not uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's kind of my time. So I'm hoping to get out uh, a little more this fall than I had in the past couple of years. So, yeah. So, um, I've, I was speaking to, um, Dan Pazio back a little while and he said that you're quite a, a fiend with the throwing stick. Is there any backstory <laughs> to that? Because uh, <laughs> uh, I guess you get pretty good at it after a while, but yeah. you know, 
I have a, an old Cobra stick. I don't even yeah. think they're in, in business yeah, anymore. I'm not sure, yeah. Uh, but I've had it forever, and, and I've gotten so good with it, I can almost, you know, put boilies in a bucket at like 100 yards. Jeez. And one time we were up at the St. Lawrence fishing an event up there you know, years ago. I think it was one of the old specialist tournaments, and there was a, a comorant sitting on a buoy about 120 <laughs> yards out, and I wanted to see how close I could get to the comorant and make him fly off the, the buoy. I think I hit him on the second shot. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. Yeah, no injuries, but he did, yeah. he did move off. But, uh, yeah. It's, it's a, it's a handy piece of kit, you know, when you're fishing yeah. at range and, and actually that's one of my preferred methods is to fish at range. So yeah. And boilies, boilies mostly kind yeah, of, for the most the part, angler. you know, yeah. it's, um, you know, I used to make my own and, you know, boilies yeah. can be expensive, you know. And, oh, they add up, and, don't they? And I'm really fortunate that I, I do have a partnership with uh, That's good. one yeah. of the local, you know, the U.S. bait companies. So they, they help me out when it comes to tournaments and whatnot. Yeah. So I don't have to, you know, yeah, make, it's make a million boilies, you know, before I oh, leave the house. So. Yeah, I've been, I've done a few myself. And, you know, but you don't have to fish boilies. Everybody no, knows here it. particles, you know, fish will take particles readily here. So there's some, been some big fish over the years that have yeah. kind of fallen to a, you know, couple of bits of corn. Some right. of my biggest fish have been on two pieces of plastic corn popped up, you know, so there you go. It's, it's, it's not yeah. rocket science. You just got to get the fish in a competitive feeding mode yeah. and uh, you're going to catch some fish. Now, um, I did hear another story the other day, actually, a little while ago, but um, I think you were out in Massachusetts and it was the mirror story. And now I think that mirror is passed on, I think. Since, Unfortunately, he fell to um, a bow fisherman you know, a number of years ago. But before that, you did manage to catch him right off of, off of a boat launch. And yeah, there was, this kind a, of, there was a little park area on this one lake and uh, it's it's known for its mirror population, although I did catch a common there once. So okay. I was quite surprised, yeah. but... Um, it's one of those places that it's got some nice mirrors and you don't catch a ton of them, you know, but yeah. you can get into them pretty good occasionally. But, um, this one spot we fished, we knew there was some decent fish there and, and I just got lucky one day and I ended up, uh, you know, fishing in the margin in a rainstorm. You know. It was almost instantly, wasn't it though? Like, uh, almost right. You kind of sh you had shown up and then you said, Oh, we're going to wait to kind of go out. Yeah, we got, I was waiting for another friend to show and, and I had one line out and when they showed up, I tossed the other line out yeah. as it started to proceed to rain. Um, and within you know, 10 minutes of this cloud burst, you know, I got a slow take and uh, I got into the fish and I got it. As soon as it came up to the servers, I saw the size of it. I almost had a heart attack believe and, it. and dropped into my knees. But uh, we managed to get it in the net. It was uh, 42 and a half. Right. Pound mirror. Unbelievable. Uh, which fish. was, I believe, was caught four or five other times. It was quite a regular caught fish. Four and wasn't after. It? Yeah. It was caught a number of times, up all the way up till I think almost 45 pounds oh, at one point in this fish. And it was a testament to, to true catch and release, catch and release. You know, yeah, fishing and, and how that can benefit. And unfortunately, like I said, it fell to an arrow. Yeah. You know, a couple Something of years that we're later. trying to definitely combat here. Big right. time, isn't it? I think at the moment. I uh, mean, again, fortunately, I don't come across bow fishermen too often, as often around here. Mm -hmm. I think in in this state, it's not as big a thing as it is maybe in other states like Pennsylvania yeah. or down south. I think it's more of a sport. Um, so, I, unfortunately, I haven't really come across too much of that. But uh, it's yeah, it's unfortunate good. the big guy, you know, did take it. What a fish, though, man! Like just you know, to randomly kind of, oh, I'm going to throw another rod out, you know, and uh, and off it goes. 
Yeah, it's you know it's, it was definitely a fish of a lifetime, and so far it has been. I haven't topped that. I've, oh, okay. So you're still sitting at that one? I, yeah. I have not caught a but what a fish to finish 40. it on though. Yeah, <laughs> commons up to 39 pounds, 15 sure. ounces, but I can't seem to crack that 40 pound common yet. But I'm still working on it. Well, even then, but even then, uh, you know, it's uh, the country offers some some huge fish, doesn't it? I mean. And I think there's there's anglers all over the world that are still trying to catch a fish, even of that proportion. You know that that still haven't been able right. to. And some you know, people it's are lucky. And I have, I have one of my. Buddies, you think it's a lucky streak? One of my or, buddies yeah, that I, I fish with occasionally. You know, he, he, uh, I was in his presence when he caught a forty-five and a half and a forty-seven oh, and a go. half. And this is a guy that fishes like twice a year. Yeah. And I've been doing this for years, <laughs> you know, fishing all kinds What's of What's that, right place at right time? Or do you think it's the knowledge or a bit of both? Maybe? I think a little bit of yeah, both. Yeah, right, right. But anyway, I'm happy for the guy. But uh, I'd awesome. love to get one like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just a matter of time, isn't it? Exactly. I think. Put your time in and, you know, study your water, do your watercraft. And, yeah. and you know, it's, it's really not hard. It's just a lot of people don't take that extra time to really learn the water you're fishing before you fish it. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, a lot of people just pull up and start casting out and they don't do any plumbing. They don't check the, where the structures are and whatnot. And sometimes it's a matter of 10, 15 feet one way or the other that's going to get you fish or no fish. Now, so. do you think that for you, you know, personally for you, uh, over the years, that's something that you've had to do to figure out how to get onto the better fish? Obviously, you're in multi-species angler, so I think people that do fish for other species kind of tend to learn waters better. I think, it, you know, I, I've learned to read water. Yeah. You know, whether it's in a river or in a lake. Right. Um, you just, if you know the depths, the contours, you know the paths the fish are going to take from point A to point B. And if you can, you know, intercept them in those areas, you're going to have a little better chance of catching some yeah. nice fish. But, you know, it's definitely an acquired skill, you know, watercraft. You yeah, know? you don't just get it, do you? It's something that's just an overtime thing, isn't it? And you kind and of grow. a lot of times the fish will... They'll, they'll give you the information you need, you know, yeah. spending time looking at water, watching water, watching where the fish crash, uh, what time of day you're seeing the fish crash in different areas. Absolutely. You know, a lot of places I fish, you know, the, you know, the fish are out, out of casting range during the day. Way, way out. But you yeah. know, in the evening they're moving in and you can hear them. You know, once it gets dark, the crash, they get you know, closer and closer, closer. And the next yeah. thing you know, you get a couple of runs. So it's just learning the fish, learning the water, um, Using the right bait, you know, I'm not saying that's as critical, but there are sure. times when they do favor certain food sources, especially in bodies of water where there's a lot of natural food. You know, why would a fish want to eat a boilie if he's got crayfish running all over the place? Yeah, you know, we, that's another thing we were talking about as well a while back was, you know, why would a fish pick up a boilie? What, you know, to a fish, what is a boilie? Or over, a tiger nut. I mean. or, or even, <laughs> exactly, or even a tiger nut over, you know, the abundance of obviously everything that we know is here that, like you said, the mussels, the crayfish, the natural weed growth. And you talk about tiger nuts, it's a quick side story. Yeah. You know, I forget who gave me my first jar of tiger nuts, you know, but I had them in my bag for forever. I'm looking at them going, I, I would never them. use this. You know, what fish is ever going to eat this? Ironically, it was right down the road from here where we're speaking. Um, I was fishing one night and I wasn't having no, any luck at all. And I looked through my bag and I found that jar of tiger nuts. And I put a tiger nut on one rod, had a run in 10 minutes put the tiger nut on both rides, I had double header. So there is something to be said about certain baits at certain yeah. times. And I don't know if they can just detect the sugar content in these things, whatever it is. Right. Tiger nuts are an instant bait. 
you know, so I never, I never travel without them now because they've always, they yeah, saved so they my never butt. never leave home without. Many mm -hmm. times they saved me, even in tournament situations, you know, really, I've yeah. had some situations where they've bailed me out. So yeah, just, you just got to be open-minded to what you're using and when. Yeah. Now, um, you're an avid fly angler as well, aren't you? I am. Um, Do a lot of that. I did a bit of it, you know, when I was younger, again, I got out of it and got back into mm -hmm. it. And uh, part of that is, you know, I mean, I commute like 50 miles each way to work every day. So I don't have a lot of time during the week to prepare. And, you know, car fishing is you got to prepare. Yeah. Everything prepare in the kitchen base. sink, got, isn't it? You know, yeah. you know, which you end up in your car when you leave just proves my point. And you get so much stuff you got to get ready. Whereas, you know, fly fishing, I could just toss my rod and waders and my vest in the car and I'm on the water in a half an hour. And I, and I like it because it's, it's kind of a thinking man's sport. Yeah. Um, you kind of have to understand entomology bugs and you know life cycles of so those insects. hatches and everything so like you kind of have to be you know smart when it comes to that part of it. and i kind of yeah. like that challenge of it and you know i'd like to eventually branch out and maybe do some carp fishing with the flies yeah so. actually that's what i was kind of going to ask you about and like if you ever if you ever done that i've i've given it a go but there's a huge growth and a huge uh kind of happening now with with uh i think the american carp society are also kind of branched out and they've now got uh, like a fly fishing carp fly fishing contingent under the name which is i think a great way to really help boost the um you know the appreciation of the fish because if you're a fly angler and, and you're doing well you know i think people kind of look up to the fly fishing guys so. well, we used to look up at them as, as snobs when we were kids well that's what i mean, I mean yeah <laughs> you know, within a week all these fly guys they don't want to spin, spin fishing so kind of like i think it paints a really good light around the carp you know especially if you're fishing for them specifically and you know a lot of people say that they're, they're like the poor man's bonefish right i've never been um out to to the salt flats to do anything like that but i don't know have you have you done anything like that for the bonefish I, i've done some salt water but not no, no fly fishing yeah. in salt yet but uh, but supposedly carp on the fly is uh it's definitely something that's really i've got some stripers happening. that way but really okay else. that's that's a challenge but like you said carp are to me a carp on a fly rod is no different than a steelhead you know yeah. it's, uh, it's just hard fighting fish and, and the trick the hard part about i think fly fishing for carp is you need to be able to visually fish them for the most part. If you can see them and you can drop a fly and twitch it in front of them, yeah. you got a better chance of picking one up. It's But blind fishing, you know, with a fly for carp can be quite challenging. I would imagine, yeah, you got to know they're there. I mean, right. first and foremost, right? I, mean, I think I might have snagged a couple, but <laughs> I don't think I've caught it in the mouth yet. So, <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I, I don't even know, honestly, where I'd start with that. But at some point, I might try and give that a go. I've, I've been fly fishing for the salmon up on the old um, Pulaski area, New yes, York. We go every year for steelhead, and we have yeah. a good time. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I went solo, solo fly rod, and, you know, just leaving the spin rod home. And, I've been fortunate enough to get some nice steelhead up there. It's it's always a winter destination just to kind of break the ice of so, winter, you know, as much as we can. So you can't carfish year round here without a little bit of difficulty. So that's it. We, we, we don't have some diversion. Yeah, we don't have too much in the way of uh, open open water, do we? Once uh, that that ice sets in, it's kind exactly, of so. everything shuts down. So um, have you got anything, uh, you know, big planned for the, the next few years in terms of carp fishing or are you just going to continue to do do your thing and do a few social things? And uh, well, I might get back into a little bit more than I, I have the past few years. I did back off a little bit right. when mm -hmm. my son was like, you know, finishing high school and you know, getting ready for college things. So mm -hmm. I had a lot on my plate. And at the time I was a, the Connecticut state chairman and that took a lot of time too. We yeah, did a lot, lot of, of events. work, and, isn't it, for that kind of thing? Let's yeah, go into a little bit on that. I it's, mean it's a little bit, you know, it's it's volunteer, obviously, and, and it can be a thankless 
position, of course, as mm-hmm. some of the chairman will tell you. But I enjoyed it. You know, we, we put at least you know two fish-ins in a year, on a year in the state. And, you know, we came up with some other things. We did the CAGI. And uh, Bob Giordano and I came up with uh, the event, the Yankee Challenge event, which was very fun. It was a friendly, quite com- popular as well, a wasn't it? Friendly competition yeah. with you know with Massachusetts against Connecticut, you know, yeah. for a, for a silly little trophy. I hear at some points over the years there was some quite funny stories that came off a there's, lot of those events. Of right? I could tell. I could write a book about yeah. the stories of carfishing. <laughs> trust me, uh, but that's for another time. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I plan on doing a little bit more and. Uh, you know, maybe get more involved with some stuff like we're doing here, you know, just talking about carp fishing. Yeah. I think, you know, it's really important to kind of me- memorize that and kind of really document it historically. There's some really smart guys out there that, you know, I've had the you know, pleasure of meeting over the years. Sure. They're really good anglers. Um, I can't name them all. There's so many. Of, of course. Yeah. Um, and a lot of friendships that have been made, you know, carp fishing, I still have. I mean, you know, I, they right. don't disappear, you know, even when you stop fishing. So yeah, carp fishing is strange like that, isn't it? In a good, it's a good thing. Like you, you, you kind of make these relationships, these friendships with anglers. You can go, you know, five, ten, five, ten years, whatever, and not see them, and then you see them out there, and you're like, it was the it cool- kind of lifts back off where it left off, kind of. It thing. was the coolest thing when it first came about. When yeah. Cag, you know, started up. That was like very cool. Yeah, you know, it was like this unique club that, you know, not many people knew about. And it was just a fun thing, and, yeah. and to be part of the the beginning of something. I don't. I don't want to say I'm a CAG pioneer. I hate well, to say no, that. Well, no, but still, even then, I mean, I know there were quite a number of other uh, guys, you know, before before us both. But you know, you've been there for you know in it for quite quite a number of years. Yeah, and right? I like so, to think you know I've been a positive influence absolutely. on a number of people that have gotten into the sport. So yeah, I, I'm I'm not going to lie. Uh, you know, a few guys uh, have kind of mentioned your name. I've never said well, a bad I feel, thing. I feel, I feel know, bad ever. sometimes. I'll go to these events and somebody will come up to me. Hey, you know, they know. Well, why. you're a legend, really. Well, Let's not, face it. <laughs> you know, I, I say, ask my son, how come how these people all know me? They're yeah. like, Dad, everybody knows you. Yeah, you know, I was but, just fishing with a young lad just a few days back. Um, never fished a lake we were on before. And he, he asked me at one point, hey, if I ever if you're ever up that way, can you contact me? And I'd love to come and fish with you. So I said, yeah, no problem. So I was up there, contacted him. He caught a fish, lucky enough. But um, one of the first few words out of his mouth, do you know Mike Dragoon? And that kind of started a whole story. And <laughs> uh, I believe he was fishing with you up on on the St. Lawrence. He was a runner. Oh, that was probably uh, was it the guy from the St. Lawrence. We just the time we were just yeah. there. It was, he was our uh, our marshal. Yeah. Okay. There you go. I believe. So. Yeah, young Bradley. Brad. Yeah, yeah Brad. Nice yeah. guy. Yeah, really, really good guy. Doing good things. Good, so. good. Yeah, we like to you know, try to influence people in a positive way when it comes to this stuff as much as we can. So. Yeah, that's it. I think you've probably, I mean, but you know, yourself and I think there's a couple of other guys, but really, really kind of put a good light on carp angling and helped kind of not sway people, but shown them the right, right from wrong and, and the carp care side of things over the years. I think you've probably really done a fantastic job of that. I, I think we also did a pretty good job. Some of us uh, in this region to promote the sport, like, CAG, when it first came out, was mainly a Midwest thing, Chicago right. area. It was it, All the articles in the newsletter were all about stuff in Chicago, Sheboygan, and this and that. Sure. We're like, well, what about New England? Yeah, there's tons so of shit going I, on. I remember, I remember asking Paul Pizzala from uh, Wacker Bates, you know, he was affiliated with the with the newsletter at some point. And I was like, how come nobody does any articles from the Northeast? He goes, why don't you? I'm like, 
there you go. That's you drop yourself idea. in it. <laughs> you know, and, and myself and uh, Eddie Wagner, you know, we, yeah, for a while there, we, we, we would write articles for just about every issue of, of the, the CAG newsletter. Yeah. And, you know, I like to write anyway, so it's kind of my fun right. thing to do. So it was a good way to promote, you know, the carp fishing out here. We would do fishings and we would do fishing reports with pictures. Yeah. And that, by now, you know, the internet's now a thing. So it is, but I think, I think people still really highly appreciate the written word and stuff like, you know, especially I'm, I'm, I've got a number of carp books as well. And I don't, you know, I'm sure you've kind of read plenty of, you know, sure. in your years, but it's one of those things that it's always good to have, you know, to lean back on as well. And, you know, I think uh, many people have said it, but social media is good for the instant kind of look at that look at this but for longevity like once once it's on there it gets buried doesn't it by uh, you know a layer of masses of other images and right kind of gets forgotten about so i think doing something like this people can listen to it over time or, or like you said these small publications where people can kind of pick up and read it and 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 kind of remember it and go back to it and kind of revert to that is always totally really agree. good yeah i think a lot of the cag fishing's New York fishings happened at uh, the uh, the Troy Dam, didn't they? Yes, it was one of the first places that you could go to catch some really nice fish, yeah. some big fish. I remember being told before I went the first time, make sure you you ramp up your your line and your heavy leads, because these fish will they'll, they'll run you around. You know, so I was brand new at the time, and I, I think that's where I caught my first fish on a boilie. Really, and. You know, I remember buying a bag. I think, again, I bought them from Eurotackle. It was a bag of these, uh, I think they were Kevin Maddox, Strawberry Crush okay. Boys or RM30s or something. <laughs> and I remember I always like would just stick my face in the bag and smell them. Like, it smelled one. so good. So I remember, you know, fishing next to, I think, Quid Blankley at the time. And and we just caught so many fish. I, I, I just couldn't get my head around how much bait was being thrown in the water. You know, people were throwing five gallon buckets full of maize out there. I'm like, how are they going to find my hook bait in the middle of all this? And they all just looked at me like, don't worry about it. And they were absolutely right because they were just, I was catching fish hand over fist, really? yeah. you know, all night long. And it was one of the nice spots, not the prettiest place to have a fishing, but it was, it was, there was a lot of fish there. Now, uh, have you been, have you been there recently or is that something that just kind of, I think I drove by there a couple of years ago and they did some kind of waterfront restoration there. They got a bunch of marinas and mm. things. You can't fish it like you used to. It was kind of a bad section of Troy. You wouldn't want to be caught there by yourself after yeah. dark unless you had somebody with you. A few undesirables. A, it was a little bit undesirable. <laughs> Every once in a while you, you hear a gunshot across the river and be like, are they shooting at us? <laughs> oh so, my gosh. Yeah. But it was one of those, you know, every year it was like, we always had a fishing in August every year up there. It was like a yearly thing. Yeah. Um, and again, it was another of those places where you could catch some really big fish. And then over the years, it just didn't fish the same, you know, it's kind of tapered off, weird, you know, but, uh, you know, there's, there's plenty of places along the Hudson river. It's, you know, any of these tidal rivers, you know, the Hudson, the Connecticut river, yeah, they're just spectacular fisheries for many things, you know, including carp, um, you know, anywhere from, you know, and we've caught, you know, some serious fish, in right. what I would consider brackish. I was going to say, if you fish down very on that salty section, water to the yeah. point where, you know, I have to wash my gear off when I come home because it'll corrode With the, know, salt the aluminum, yeah. you know, there's so much salt in the water, but you know, these, these fish are eating, you know, blue claw crabs, you know, that's but part nothing. of their diet. You know, yeah. that's what they eat. And that's, they, yeah, they get so big and you look at their mouths, you know, you can oh, tell you that's know, what yeah. they do. You that's know, it. You got these huge <laughs> lips. They're just, they're like leather, you know, it's like unbelievable. 
Now, um, when when you first got into carp fishing like that, did you ever think that you'd be kind of fishing those areas, those rivers like like the Connecticut River and the Hudson, like these big kind of because they're huge. I mean, especially the Hudson, that uh, lower section. It's a massive. little daunting, you know, especially for some people. I remember you know, talking about Dan Pazio. I remember taking him to the St. Lawrence for the first time uh, before one of the junior tournaments, and he helped us do some baiting. And we went out the night before with uh, one of the local uh, tackle shop owners up there. You know, we were going to help him out, put a bunch of bait out in sure. these different sections. And we got in this boat, you know, it was probably a 17-foot boat, and there must have been 25 five-gallon pails of maize in it. And I remember Dan Pazio just looking at me going, what are they doing with this? I said, we're going to bait up the spots. I said, and half of it will be gone by morning. And I just had this look on his face, and he's like, i got to take a picture of this. He said, it's my brother. He's not going to believe it. Yeah. So it's hard, you know, to come from that environment to see – the scope of these fisheries are massive yeah. bodies of water. And you're like, where do you start? And really you just find a good spot and you just bait them up and just they'll show up. You know, it's no different than fishing a small body of water. You just can't, can't let the size of it get into your head. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And the one thing that did strike me and I never realized this until I fished the Connecticut river was how far down the river these fish are. I into mean, the brackish you sections. Can catch, you mean, you yeah. can catch carp a mile from the 95 bridge. You know, down in you know down right. in Lower Connecticut, there there's tons of fish there, and, and you know I think they move in and out just like the tides. You know, there's the salt moves in, they move up the river with it, and they move out with it. You know, yeah, I was, I was talking to um, another angler, Evan, about that a while ago, and he was basically saying that um, the salinity percentage in water, in water, like for example, like the, the um, Connecticut River, that carp can live in like quite a high percentage of salt salt water and just kind of nat just naturally live there as if it was f full fully fresh water you know they can eat there spawn there and just live kind of like move with the tides if you will yeah exactly. without think, any problems and you think about it you know and that's why some of these fish are so big think about the food source yeah that they have over over top of a freshwater body you know like a lake or a pond you got shrimp you got oh, yeah. you got crabs you've got all this biomass you know that lives in that brackish environment that other fish in freshwater don't get to see. So, get. so I think that's it has a lot to do with the size of some of these fish in some of these, you know, these riverine environments. And they're strong fish. You know, they, they grow up in current. You know, you hook one of these river fish. They go, aren't they? Yeah, that's it's, it. It's a whole different ball game. Yeah. You know, there's, there's certain things that I learned that that kind of surprised me. And that was one of them. Another thing that, that surprised me was I was always in the impression as a kid that once the water got cold, carp like kind of hibernated shut down and, or know, something so i said just after you know in september rolled around i would just throw my stuff in a closet and i wouldn't even talk to anybody until april <laughs> you know and then i realized man look at all the good fishing i've been missing because yeah. you, know, you can catch them essentially year round as long as you know where to get where to them go. now you know not that i you know i actively you know target carp in this have area have you done winter. any carp through the ice before have you done i that? did once um because i wanted to just be able to say that i caught one through the ice <laughs> how <laughs> um, did that work out and for actually you? when i good... was up to charles river in uh, boston back you know back in again in the heyday and uh, we were catching fish right across from fenway park 
in in the Charles River, right, uh, on tip ups and and jigging holes through the ice. Isn't that, that's unreal to me. That's mind blowing. Like I mean, I know there's a, a number of guys that do it and they do it quite well and they've had some great success with you know big fish. Right. There's there's got to be a t- like like regular carp fishing without the ice. There's got to be a technique to how you're baiting and and I think it's stuff I think like the big that. thing in the winter is location because I think they they yeah. kind of congregate together in the winter. And the other thing is the feeding window. It, it's there but it's shorter, right? It's not, you're not going to catch them all day. You might, there might be an hour where they're actively, you know, trying to pick up some food. Mm. You know, they need to eat something throughout the winter. They're not going to just starve over the winter. Of course. Yeah. You know, but they move less obviously because metabolism, they don't want to burn through what they've right. got so stored if up. If you can so. find, you know, that spot where they're hanging out, you're chances good. are you're going to be able to, you know, you can Now, was that spot you went to to do that, a known kind of area to go for that? We they... just discovered it. I mean, yeah, okay. you know, some of the, some of the folks out that way, um, uh, I can't think of all the names, but sure. Franz Zinsky was part oh, of that, yeah. you know, yeah, bless him, yeah. soul. Um, you know, we, we, we found the spot and, you know, people posted a few pictures of people catching through the ice. And I was like, you know, I told my son, let's go. We're let's only catching through the ice. And we yeah. did. And that was like the last time I did it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now, um, like you said that about um, like kind of checking out pictures and stuff and figuring things out. That's happened quite a lot over the years, hasn't it? I think with, with spots and locations for like different anglers and, yeah, people that, have kind of caught on. Yeah, there's there's a pro and a con to that. I mean, yeah. you know, the, one of the big cons is you, you don't want to happen is to have some bow fishermen stumble across some locations where you're getting some big fish and, and it's happened. You yeah. know, and uh, I, I'm always always one. I'm not the most secret, secretive guy in the world. So right. no, uh, I'll yeah, let people it. know, you know, hey, go here. It's good. Go here. There, it's good. And, you know, but there are spots that are that are sensitive. I yeah. Mean, you know, there are places that, you know, if you, if you don't do the right thing and you break a few rules and get caught, you're going to go ruin south it for right everybody. Quick, yeah. You know, it's whether you're not allowed to overnight or, you know, whatever, you know, you just, you know, some people will find a spot and they'll just fish it to death for three weeks and the spotting in a spot anymore. So <laughs> we've all come across that, you know, again, it's not really a big issue with me, but uh, my, yeah, I my feel spots, like you're pretty I'm easy going. Like one of those my spots, your spot, as long as you respect it. That's and, it. You know, I'm good with it. You know. Yeah, it's, I, I, I think over the years there's, there's been a, a number of drama issues that have kind of come about for things there like that. There will always but, be drama. But I think that's just one of those things. There will always be. There will always there. be drama. And there will always be the people that are that want to catch the biggest one ever. Yeah, you know, I think that's part of the sport, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> like what the drive behind getting out there and doing. I mean, obviously the passion behind it is just getting out there and fishing and enjoying being outdoors. But part of it has got to be the next biggest fish, hasn't it? You like, can get caught up in it. There's absolutely. no doubt. I mean, there's, you know, I like the, I'm the kind of person, you know, I, I like every, I like fishing for big fish. I like fishing for a lot of fish. So if I feel like going out and having a session where I can just, you know, catch a dozen or two fish and, and, and they may not be big, I'll do that. And if I want to, yeah. you know, I know a couple of big fish waters where, you know, you can get a 30, 40 pounder, but you may only get one or two runs a day. You know, yeah. that's the, the trade-off. The know? trade-off of it, absolutely. If you can find a place that's got both, and then 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 you keep that place a secret. <laughs> Don't tell anybody about it. But yeah, it's you know, there's plenty of places and plenty of fish. You shouldn't really have that issue. Yeah, I think over the years myself, I've done that as well. Kind of, you get, I've got got you get focused in on really trying to attempt to really strive for the best results you possibly can. You get kind of carried away and right. lost a little bit with. And we try to build relationships with, you know, with the local, 
you know, people, the law enforcement. I mean, yeah. you know, we're the type of people who go around, you know, I don't like fishing in places that have garbage. And yeah. So I'll yeah. bring a, I'll bring a garbage yeah. bag with me. I'll fill up a hefty bag full of everybody else's garbage just to clean the place out for the next That's time. One of the things that came up, um, when I was talking with another angler also a few weeks back, it's like amazing the amount of trash and, and garbage and rubbish and stuff that's left around that we as carp anglers, I don't know what it is about carp anglers. We've I've just kind had, of taken that on. I've that actually role. had people come up to me and say, oh, you're one of the carp guys. I don't have to worry about you. Yeah, there you go. And that, that makes you feel good. It, it really has kind of just put us in a good light in, in a number of kind of areas you know, in, in the, in the country, hasn't it? I think a lot of times I, I turn up and I'll instantly see one of those polystyrene worm tubs. Mm. I'm just like, all right, here we go. I know what my job's going to be for the next hour. Kind of wandering around and picking up. I mean, part of the experience for me is, you know, enjoying where I'm at, whether I'm fishing, yeah. get, getting fish or not. I'm an outdoor person, you know, whether, right. whether I was, you know, back when I bow hunted or, or any kind of fishing I do, I like the experience of being outside and I don't like to be in an area that's, got rubbish in of course yeah you don't want to have to deal with that it kind of ruins the whole experience for me yeah so i I try to i think it's great that for somehow that kind of has trickled down over the years that carp anglers when they do go they're obviously you know very sensitive to that kind of that area or wherever they might be fishing they're always willing to kind of go the extra mile to i mean you go to these tournaments you know you see after the tournament's done you go around to the different pegs you can't tell that anybody was there yeah. You know, it's probably cleaner, you know, after we're done with it. But that, before we started, <laughs> that, so. that, I think that's, that's it. And that says a lot, doesn't it really for what we're doing, not only the sport and, and fishing for carp, but kind of just the, you know, the uh, sportsmanship kind of mentality, like want to all work together and keep, keep places clean like that, which is, yeah. which is great. And I think another thing that's important is, is keeping these kids coming in, these young kids getting them interested. And I always thought that was a great thing when the, uh, they had the St. Lawrence Junior Tournament, which still happens. Yeah, I it think still that still happens. goes on, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, maybe that not generation. on the scale that it was back then, but it was a great opportunity to, to teach kids. And we, we would have what we called carp school. You know, on Thursday before the tournament started, we'd have you know basically eight or ten you know guys, CAG guys, yep. that would each take eight or ten kids, and we would teach them everything about how to tie hair rigs. Had to you know set your bait runner. Had to you know all this, the the basic things about carp fishing. Now that was the day before the, the, day before. the kids tournament, wasn't it? And it I was think very, I did a couple of those. It was very w- rewarding to see these kids yeah. the next day applying what they learned twenty four hours before and catching these huge fish. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had one girl in my class the first year I went with my son. He was probably like eleven, so we had the group out there you know uh, fishing after the after class just to give them a little, little practice. And uh, this one girl, I think her name was Millie. You know, she was like, "I'm, I'm not going to catch any fish. I, I, I'm not a good fisherman." I said, "You will catch some fish. Pr- I promise you." Yep. She caught a forty, I think a forty-three pounder no the next day, which is bigger than <laughs> anyone I ever caught. You know, <laughs> so it just goes to show you, you know, and and you know, that's the kind of thing that happens. It gets you hooked for life. You know, just you, know, you have some success and and, and and some good mentorship and. Right. And they're the next generation. And I see that, you know, with, with CAG and some of these, these groups, there are some young, new young blood in there that I, yeah. I haven't met before that, right. that are good fishermen. You know, yeah. I think the sport's the, definitely growing. Connecticut, in that. You know, these, these guys have fished the Connecticut river and, and do these tournaments out East here. There, there's some pretty good anglers in the group. Yeah. There. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and as good as you are, 
you can always learn from somebody else. Oh, I think I think that's part of it, isn't it? Really, you can, you're always going to learn like a little little something here or there whenever you go fishing with someone else. Right, and in the different styles. I mean, look at you know the pay laking. Yeah. Oh man, you know, it's like, wow, that's a whole nother. Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole nother. It's a whole, nother a whole podcast, nother level, which, isn't it? Yeah, which I'm not going to get into, but yeah, but, we've but got some of that lined up actually. But they, know, but they, up. they've got some. There's some great anglers that, that, that fish that style, and yeah, I've learned some things from them. Yeah, and, and you kind of adapt in. And I've applied some of the yeah. tactics in certain yeah. situations and, and and they really work. You know, it's so it's it, that even that that type of fishing has come a long way in the in the past 10 years as well. Right. So but yeah, that's another podcast. That's, that's that, something from, yeah, you know what, that's something we're gonna we're gonna kind of at some point we'll dig into a few down the road, but it blows my mind still that people can put on a serial like puff cereal onto a hook and it works and I've the, seen and the it fish work. absolutely nail them and they and the guys are doing fantastic you know with it and then catching some really big fish on it and numbers of them too and it's all all about the flavoring because because I, I don't i mean i don't know much about it puffology you know whatever they call it but um the the puff is just a pickup isn't it so really it's not like they're even I, fishing I don't even think the feeding puff, for the flavor it. of the puff to me is i mean it's just, just a visual is, i think it's just all the puff does is it basically makes the hook neutral. So when the fish come by and they see that pile of stuff, yep. they're just going to inhale it, and that hook just goes with. There you go. You know? right. So whether the you know, whether whether the puff is the most important part of the pack, or not. Yeah. I, I'm not really sure. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. You know. Qual- I couldn't. Qualified I could, to tell well, you, that. you probably know more than I do on that front. I've again, I've I've dabbled in some some stuff like that, but more generally towards the method. But it kind does of work. Style. It, it definitely in certain does. situations, yeah. you know, and maybe not all, you know, fishing pack in a river you know tidal river might be a completely different challenge that not many people are up for but you know in certain situations it definitely can outfish you know euro style there's no doubt about it yeah i'm i just love boily fishing <laughs> it's easy enough <laughs> it's easy you know it's not always cost effective is it but like you said before it, it, it sometimes tends to kind of sway the bigger fish i've found personally but well, even if I fish with you know with some particles, you know, I'll fish and boily over top of over it. the top of it. Yeah. You know, in my in my tournament experiences, no matter what you start with, the bigger fish always seem to come to the boilies in the end. So you know, a lot of the tournaments we do, we'll start off you know with some particles you know out there and and with some boilies mixed in, and sure. eventually you wean the fish off the particles and onto the boilies. And and that seems to be the you know what's worked for that us. Progression kind of works and pulling the bigger fish and kicks out the smaller ones. Right, yeah. right. And I think some of the smaller particles attract, you know, large groups of smaller stamp fish. Right. You know, you know carp fish, you know, they kind of swim together in, in similar, you know, size groups. You know, I found that if you're fishing and you're catching, you know, twenty pounders and twenty one pounders, that seems to be the thing. But then all of a sudden you get like a thirty. And chances are you're going to get a couple more big fish in that short time span because they usually travel They're swimming together. together. Yeah, right, you right. Know? So I, that's what I, I found that seems to be the case. You know, and the, the kiss of death when you're in a tournament is on day three when it's the it's the 18 pounders that are in your spot, not the not the 30s. Yeah, not that the happens, ones you really That happens really more need. often than not. Trust the 18 me. aren't there, are they? And it's just kind of wading through them all just to exactly, pick one one exactly. good one up. Exactly. Oh, brilliant. Well, you know what? We're going to wrap it up, I think, here. Uh, thanks for coming on, joining us here and uh, spending a bit of time telling us about your history of, uh, you know, what you've been involved in and uh, over the years within the carp world over here in the US. It's definitely something that's grown and continuing to grow 
and uh, hopefully we, we'll see it. We'll see it get bigger, but hopefully not too much bigger, right? <laughs> no, I appreciate you having me. It's yeah. a pleasure talking to you, and all kinds of stories to tell. So there's, there's, yeah. there's a lot more of us out there that oh yeah you know, that can shed some light on this sport and actually help promote it. So again, appreciate you having me. Yeah, thanks ever so much for sharing some of your words with us. So uh, appreciate right, it. Cool tight lines. For more upcoming episodes of the Big Carp News podcast, written articles, product reviews, and much, much more, be sure to check out the Big Carp News website over at www.bigcarpnews.com. And also, as always, don't forget to check out Big Carp Tackle for all your carp tackle needs right here in the USA. Once again, thanks ever so much for Mike Dragone for taking the time out and sharing a number of his past and present experiences of his carp angling. Absolutely fantastic stuff. And thanks for joining us. Take care, be safe. We'll catch you on the next podcast. <laughs>